0: Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host Jim Robinson. Hello and welcome back to the Rob Seaco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host Jim Robinson, and today we're going to talk about the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, also known as CFAP, and talk a little bit about what is it, who's eligible for it, what qualifies, and what should you know. Today on our episode, we have our guest Matthew Farrell. Matthew, could you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Uh, yes, I'm Matthew Farrell, Director of Farm Program Services with Keiko Isom. Um, we are nation's leading agricultural accounting and uh, business consulting firm.
0: Excellent. What do you do with Keiko Isom?
1: Uh, so I work with uh, producers, uh, row crop, livestock, um, some permanent crop, uh, and dealing with the government and farm programs, uh, mainly with the Farm Service Agency, FSA, um, and, and do a little bit of NRCS work as well which was National Conservation um, Resource Center.
0: Excellent. So you are Keiko Isom's resident expert on the CFA uh, CFAP program, correct?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've put in a, a good bit of hours the last couple of weeks when this thing is uh, was released and um, uh, put my nose in it a lot right, recently.
0: I'd imagine. I'd imagine. So can you tell us a little bit about what the program is and why it came about?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, when... COVID-19 hit, Congress uh, passed the CARES Act. Um, and, and in it, they, they authorized some money to go to USDA to help producers who had been um, neg- negatively impacted by uh, COVID-19. It was pretty broad language. It was just uh, this amount of money that, that got pushed to USDA. From that, um, USDA developed the uh, Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, that's um, CFAP. and And they had two buckets of money to uh, To use. Um, one was the money in that CARES Act itself. And then there was the CCC uh, Charter Act that they were able to draw some money from as well. And um, so in some of the calculations that, that um, any producers look at, there's two different ways to calculate from two different funds. And it gets confusing at some point. Um, so it's a way for uh, producers to uh, get some relief um, from being directly impacted by COVID-19. And it's basically the the, the price impact. And they're pretty consistent. The, the USDA and, um, you know, the law itself is pretty consistent. They wanted to help producers who were directly impacted by any price reductions that might have happened um, during a specified time that, that they had set in place. Uh, there's been a lot of questions of, you know, there were some impacts after this time period. There were some um, you know, general impacts that happen that, that aren't covered in this, this bill. But they really wanted to narrow down. If you had a commodity that was negatively affected by uh, a price drop, um, that's the relief that they wanted to, to get out to the producers.
0: So what degree, how many dollars was the USDA funded with in order to enact the CFAP uh, program? The
1: CARES Act uh, authorized $9.5 billion um, for the program. And then there's another $6.5 billion, um, authorized under that CCC uh, uh, Charter Act uh, that has been authorized to, been, to be distributed out to producers.
0: That's a significant number of dollars to uh, be injected right into the commodities market to help with the relief for farmers. Now, who would be eligible for this relief?
1: Sure. So, uh, the USDA has um, put in place these different buckets, is what I call them. Um, there is uh, specialty crops. It's going to be some permanent crops and some produce. Uh, there's non-specialty crops. It's going to be your corn, soybeans, and and those type of crops. Uh, livestock, um, wool, and dairy. Wool is kind of something new to this program that we haven't seen in some other programs in the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, our are- are it's, is it just individuals who are eligible or, or what about these operations that operate under within a corporation or a limited liability, uh, a company or a partnership? Are they eligible as well?
1: So they're tailoring it to any producer that had a direct risk, um, in a unsold crop unpriced crop, some inventory on hand. Um, and it is, uh, to, uh, it can go to producers that, that were corporations that were limited liability partner, uh, limited liability companies, limited partnerships um, and in general partnerships, the the way that uh, they they did implement payment limits. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, Entity is, is, or a person is limited to $250,000. And typically what we've seen with these programs is general partnerships and joint ventures are, are looked at as pass through entities and, can have multiple payment limits Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, based on the number of of partners inside of them or members inside of them. And and generally the the LLCs, corporations, limited partnerships have been one uh, payment limit. What's interesting with this uh, um, CFAP program is that they have actually expanded LLCs and corps to to receive multiple payment limits. Um, There's some rules that, uh, that you have to be active, the members have to be active. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be individuals embedded in the uh, that first level of LLC or corp. You cannot be an embedded entity um, and, and you can only have up to three extra payment limits. So we, we talked about the, the $250,000 limit. Um, essentially, if you have three members, individuals inside of an LLC that are active and, and the definition they put for uh, active involvement is 400 hours of, of labor or management um, directly tied to the Uh, the production that's, that's getting money. But if you have uh, three active members, you can receive up to $750,000 if your losses warrant that.
0: Absolutely. Now, now what, what whatever, you know, jumping ahead just a little bit, what, what would constitute as those losses, you know, say we're looking at a non-specialty crop. So whether that's corn, soybeans, et cetera, um, what, what falls into that? Is that all of the bushels that are produced in the 2019 crop or, or how does that work?
1: So first, yeah, you're right. They are looking at the 2019 crop because that's what uh, uh, was at risk during this time period. They're looking at the time period between January 9th, uh, 15th and um, April 15th. So that was, the the dates are, are, have been some question. A lot of producers have asked about, hey, why are they putting these dates in place? What the USDA has said is that was the date that we um, started seeing a, a reduction in prices due to the virus impact. Mm -hmm. Um, So any inventory, and we'll we'll talk about specialty uh, or non-specialty crop here, any inventory that was um, on hand during that time could be um, eligible for payment. The the calculation um, would be 50% of your 2019 production or inventory on hand as of January 15th whichever one's the lesser, they're not going to pay the, uh, the, the higher of the two. And from that number, there's two different ways a producer would get paid. Um, and it comes down to these two different buckets of money that they've they've uh, um, authorized. They're going to set, take 50% of your eligible production mm-hmm. and pay it out of that CARES Act money. They're going to take 50% of your eligible production and pay it out of CCC Charter Act money, um, you know. For example, you you, you look at uh, corn. Fifty percent of your your bushels eligible bushels would be thirty two cents a bushel, and mm-hmm. that's from the CARES Act. And fifty percent would be thirty five cents a bushel, and that's from that Charter Act. And and so it's essentially an average of the two, but they have to track it separately um, the way that the, the rules are written.
0: Absolutely. So so if a uh, a grower has on hand uh, these bushels on January 15th and then priced it within that time period between January 15th and April 15th. Those bushels do qualify in that scenario? Uh,
1: yes. Um, so they're looking at that January 15th date uh, for that inventory. Um, and of course, comparing it to 50% of your total 2019 production. Uh, but anything during that time, at that point that you had on hand that was eligible um, could be paid. If we start looking at livestock, uh, there are some other provisions that, that say if you've made some sales during that time um, that you get paid differently than if you held inventory uh, past that April 15th date.
0: Yeah. So uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but, but just to kind of clarify a little bit, why is it that they are only paying for unpriced inventory during these periods. Yeah, Why not count the inventory that sold in, say, December or January 1st? uh, If you could revisit that a little bit.
1: Sure, we've had a lot of producers that have been um, upset about that because what they're saying is it had to be at risk, unpriced, and anyone that had contracts during that time essentially they weren't affected by the coronavirus they, they really tried to tailor this program to say are any producers that had a direct uh, loss in price during this time um, that weren't the most affected would which would receive the the payments and, um, and there's a lot of producers that thought they were going to be able to get paid and and they may not receive anything basically they, they did a good job of um, contracting their grain and had some had some better prices than during this time and um we do expect some future programs to come out that could give some relief for uh producers we don't know what it looks like um we had the market facilitation program the last couple years that uh was was able to get a good amount of money to some producers that really needed it Uh, there could be some authorizations on that for a third year in a row there could be some new um programs that, that are announced they could inject some more money into the cfap program and expand mm-hmm. the, the rules it's uh they're gonna let this one play out probably see how it, it goes but some of the producers that are upset that maybe they aren't uh as, as well taken care of as some of the others that had the price risk there there's a good chance that there could be some uh, more funds that become available before the end of the year
0: absolutely that may help out those producers that maybe hold their grain until june july uh, into those months and uh uh, that way, not everything floods the market here in, oh I guess, back in April. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you'd mentioned a little bit on livestock, and, and there are some nuances to livestock. Not only is it just uh, you know, cattle, pigs, et cetera, but it also falls into dairy. Can you tell us just a little bit about how those programs work?
1: Sure. So um, the livestock category... Uh, And I'm going to keep dairy separate. So dairy has its own um, payment method, uh, but the livestock bucket, as as I call it, has uh, eight different categories. So you have slaughter cattle, um, which is a mature Mm -hmm. cattle, slaughter cattle, which is a fed cattle, feeder cattle less than 600 pounds, feeder cattle that are 600 pounds or more, um, then all other cattle, uh, pigs and hogs, and then lambs and yearlings. Um, so these are are priced a little differently than the the non-specialty crops that we talked about. Um, what they're paying here is any actual sales that happened during this January 15th to April 15th, um, time period, they will pay out of that CARES Act bucket. So you had a direct loss during that time period. Um, any actual sales will be paid one way. Mm -hmm. Then there's this other, uh, payment. It's, Anything that happened from April 16th to May 14th doesn't matter if you sold during this time. The day that you had your highest inventory is the day that you want to choose to have your second payment calculation. And that comes out of this, uh, the CCC payment rate. So um, anything you sold between January 15th to April 15th uh, that qualifies or priced, um, sold or priced, And then the day that you had your highest inventory between April 16th and May uh, 14th.
0: Now, presumably the, the second half of that, the date that you had your highest inventory is to help offset those scenarios wherein uh, maybe processing plant wasn't able to take the additional inventory in or, or something along those lines. Would that be a correct assumption?
1: Yes. The, uh, the CARES Act authorized two different uh, calculations. One was anything, any prices that had, had dropped uh, during the time period specified, and they wanted to calculate some future loss. They understood that um, any holding expenses, uh, mm-hmm. holding inventory, holding, um, you know, grain and storage, whatever it may be, there's, there's some extra expenses to that if you can't get your inventory to market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we saw a big issue with uh, processing plants not able, able to take more capacity, so are shutting down to you know, limit their capacity. Uh, so, yeah, a- absolutely. That's a way to calculate some type of future uh, loss and get it into the producers' hands um, where uh, maybe it's not perfect. Maybe, you know, there, there's some extra things, but at least it gives some type of future calculation and gets some funds from producers.
0: That's excellent. That's good. So, just a little bit about dairy, if you could.
1: Um, sure. So dairy I- I is interesting. Um, so there's a calculation for first quarter production um, that that gets paid out of that CARES Act, and it's a uh, four dollars and seventy one cents um, per per hundred weight. And then there, they have this first quarter production multiplied by 1014. So it's a um, a, a Kind of a future calculation says okay you'd you'd sell this and and so that also comes uh gets paid but it comes out of that ccc payment rate um you know one thing any any dairy production um or animals used for dairy production would not be counted in the uh uh, livestock payment. so the Mm -hmm. dairy cattle would be uh completely separate absolutely
0: oh good good so if, a, if an operation or if a grower needs to apply for the CFAP, uh, what information do they require? What what form do they need to submit and to whom should they submit it?
1: For most producers that are familiar with uh, FSA have participated in um, programs in the past. Uh, they probably have most of the forms they're going to need at the FSA office other than the application. Um, they're trying to streamline the process for any producers that have not participate in the past in any FSA programs. They, they want some basic information, your, your, your information, contact information. Um, they, they need to know citizenship status. Uh, there are ways for foreign uh, producers to be eligible with some extra uh, requirements. They need to know your taxpayer identification number. Some basic information. Um, there are multiple forms. There's a membership information form and I won't bore everybody by listing every single number here, but, (laughs) um, there is a, uh, conservation compliance form. Uh, there is a a general, it's called the farm operating plan. It's telling them what you're doing, how you're doing it. Um, that that needs to be submitted. And you can also submit some, um, direct deposit forms. There's a list of forms that uh, pretty easily accessible online that, uh, need to be, um, submitted that most producers that are familiar with FSA already have in place. The the application is the uh, 3114. Um, What's interesting about this application that they did this time is they put together a spreadsheet that will help producers uh, calculate losses. And um, now I'll I'll be honest, I haven't played around with the spreadsheet yet. I I keep wanting to, but it's supposed to pre-populate this uh, this, AD. Thirty-one fourteen application, which could be a big benefit for producers to uh, see how much production is eligible, see what the payment would be, and then have it flow right into the form. And that can be found on um, uh, USDA website uh, farmers.gov
0: and mm-hmm. slash CFAP. Excellent. That makes it very easy. That, that's very helpful. That that pre-populating form, I think. Uh, now. The FSA, we've heard, may require some additional documentation at later dates. Uh, can you explain what some of that documentation or, or substantiation may be?
1: Sure. Um, there is uh, essentially it's production uh, proof. It is uh, you do not have to provide your production proof the you know, when you submit your application or these other eligibility forms. You must have on hand documentation that substantiates uh the production that you're claiming um fsa can do spot checks they listen they will do spot checks on on a number of producers during this Um, so some of the 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 production records that uh, they may be looking for is copies or receipts of receipts ledgers um income statements deposit slips vet records registers tapes uh truck scale tickets um, production costs, those, those types of uh, items that you may ha- have um, available, you need to keep them on hand three years after this application process because at any time in the next three years, they could spot check and, and have you prove that you had that production on hand or the sales that, that you claim to have uh, collected the funds on. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent. Yeah, that's a, always good record keeping to keep that around as, as those audits do occasionally happen. So, right. so I think you, know, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but you know, we see commodity prices today being extremely low relative to where they were a year ago at this time, uh, and you know, most specifically for the 2020 crop. What do you foresee uh, happening around the 2020 crop since we're continuing to see effects from the COVID-19 pandemic having a negative impact on those commodities?
1: So... We'll talk about row crop farmers here, this uh, non-specialty, you know, they they have the ability to participate in uh, the ARCA PLC program, and and most are are familiar with that. We saw a big shift when sign-up happened uh, last year to the PLC uh, program, which is a price loss coverage. It uh, it pays out when the price drops enough to go under a trigger price. Mm -hmm. We see some pretty big payments with that. Um, anyone that's enrolled in, in those programs, we expect PLC to, to pay out on a lot of commodities because of these low prices. Now, that doesn't help uh, anybody that is in ARC and uh, any livestock producers. Um, there is a lot of discussions in D.C. about some uh, extra benefits that need to be pushed. We uh, Every single USDA official that announced this program, the, the CARES Act and the uh, CFAP program um, all said this is not meant to make producers whole. We know that this is not enough money to make producers whole, um, but we needed to get some money as quickly as possible into some hands. And this was the way they did it. And I'd say they, they did a relatively decent job of, of turning this around as, as quickly as possible. Um, you know, some of these programs take a long time to develop and, and roll out. Uh, and, and we expect some hiccups along the way because it was done the way it is. But Relatively speaking, it was done fast. There, um, I expect more funds to come. I think there is the expectation in Washington something else will be done mm-hmm. uh, to get uh, something for this 2020 crop as well. Uh, like I said earlier, if, if it's that I mean, the third year of MFP, if it's more money into the CARES Act for um, you know 2020 crop or a new program altogether, uh, we don't quite know. There, there's a lot of politics in play there, but, um, I, I'd say it's pretty safe to say something will come out before the end of the year that helps get a 2020 relief for, for producers.
0: Absolutely. And hopefully and with enough time so that producers can make plans around how they handle, handle their grain, their inventories, et cetera, that uh, they're not caught in a place where they're holding on to it, hoping for or expecting something similar to how CFAP is working this year, but uh, something they can make plans around.
1: Now, yeah, it's hard to make plans around government programs and, cause they always seem to know how to release them just past the date where you have to make a few decisions. <laughs> um, so I, I always tell producers, look, try your best not to plan around a government program because most of the time you'll be disappointed mm-hmm. because it's not going to be what you expect. Um, let that fall into place as, as may be and make it the correct, dis, uh, the, sorry, make the correct business decisions that you need to on your farm and let uh, the farm programs do their job to just help on top of it. That's
0: great advice. Now, if, if a grower wants to find out more information or needs help with this process, uh, where can they look for resources and who might they be able to work with in order to get help on on the application and uh, making plans with CFAP?
1: Yes, you can contact uh, Keiko Isom. Um, the, our website is kcoe.com, keiko.com. Um, my contact information is is on there. We have resources uh, about the entire CARES Act and uh, the CFAP program. Um, my team could, would be more willing to talk to you, help you, see what we need to do to, to get you signed up. Um, also, the the government's put some decent information out there in the farmers.gov slash CFAP, um, especially when it comes to the forms that need to be filled out. There's a lot of explanation on there about those.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, what we've talked about today is is the coronavirus food assistance program, uh, the relief package to help offset, uh, but not make completely whole, uh, the impacts from the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic on farmers, and particularly surrounding the commodities uh, and the reduction in commodity prices during this pandemic. Uh, there are different rates of calculations and different uh, benefits that are available. For non-specialty crops such as corn, soybeans, sorghum, as well as additional funds that are available for livestock uh, and as well as dairy, wool, etc. Growers should be sure to fill out the Form 3114 and make sure they have all the uh, documentation they need for any substantiation that may be required given an audit within the next three years. And if growers need any uh, specific help on anything, they can definitely get in touch with Keiko Isom. Uh, as Matthew mentioned earlier. Otherwise, is there anything else you'd like to add, Matthew?
1: No, you know, one thing I think we didn't mention was the uh, means test. You know, there is a means test. There is a uh, 900,000 average AGI test. There is a way that a producer can be over that. Um, And that means 75% of your income must come from farming and ranching. Mm-hmm. You need to talk to an accountant to, to get those calculations. And I know, um, you know we are an accounting firm. We have a lot of accountants that would love to talk to you if you have any questions about
0: that. Excellent. That is a great addition too, because uh, um, that can be a big surprise for people expecting these funds. So with that, thank you for tuning in to the Rob Seco Field Ready podcast. Be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seaco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Parkville Media Production.